Hi, my name is Karolina and I believe virology is full of fascinating stories, so I decided to share some of them. Today I would like to talk about a time when Australia struggled with overpopulated rabbits. And finally they decided to get rid of the rabbits by releasing a virus that was specifically infecting and killing them. So you can probably imagine a lot of outcomes of such an action and some of the scenarios may even include a zombie apocalypse. So let's see what followed. This whole story began during the settlement of Australia. At the time it was common for immigrants who were moving to the new territories to bring with them plant and animal species that were familiar to them. So they were bringing plants and animals from their home to the new continent. And they considered it as adding variety to what they saw as a poor environment. But, quite unsurprisingly, oftentimes these new species were damaging the local ecosystem. For example, one introduced animal species that became pests in Australia were the sparrows, and they caused a lot of damage when they were feeding on crops. But probably the most infamous Australian pest is the European rabbit. During the colonization of new territories, the European rabbit was often taken along as a source of meat or even for sports hunting. And over the years there were actually several attempts to introduce rabbits also in Australia. However, initially the settlers were bringing with them domesticated breeds of European rabbits. And even though some of these rabbits escaped, they didn't survive in the Australian bush and they didn't spread beyond the settled areas. But in 1859, another batch of rabbits was brought in, specifically for a shooting game. And these weren't domesticated, but wild rabbits. Now these rabbits had much better survival skills than the domesticated breeds, and as a result they managed to survive even in the harsh environment of the Australian bush. Originally, only 24 rabbits were brought in, but they multiplied, you know, like rabbits do, and the population eventually rose to an incredible number of 3 billion rabbits. The rabbits were eating vegetation and they were competing for grazing areas with sheep and also with the native herbivores. They were causing massive agricultural losses and importantly also ecological damage. For example, the overpopulated rabbits were uh, responsible for elimination of multiple plant species and besides eating on their own, they were also feeding and supporting a large population of introduced predators. For example, the European red fox or feral cats. These predators also preyed on native Australian species, so they were causing further extinctions. The situation was so bad that in the historical documents, the rabbits were being described either as a plague or even as a great uh, grey blanket entirely covering the land. There have been many attempts to limit the spread of the rabbits, for example shooting or poisoning, but because of the large scale of the problem, these approaches were not effective. Another approach was fencing. I saw maps of long fences that were basically dividing Australia into separate areas. However, the fencing was also ineffective. And one of the reasons for that was that when the fences were being built, the rabbits were already on both sides of the fence. So you can imagine. So the Australian government was searching for new ways to fight the rabbit plague and they were introducing rewards to attract some proposals for new ways of basically killing the rabbits, of reducing the size of this feral rabbit population. And among the suggestions they received was the possibility of biological control. 
meaning they were suggestions to release a pathogen in the environment that would be killing the rabbits. And one of the suggested pathogens that could help with the rabbit control was Myxomavirus. At the time, Myxomavirus was a very newly described pathogen, causing a devastating rabbit disease called Myxomatosis. It is a lethal, generalized rabbit disease, where the main symptom is the formation of skin tumors called Myxomas. There are also other major symptoms, such as uh, conjunctivities, swollen head and eyelids, and also severe immunosuppression. The symptoms appear within five days after infection, and the disease kills the rabbit within two weeks. Demyxomatosis disease was first described in 1886 at the Research Institute in Uruguay. Scientists transported European rabbits to the institute to serve as laboratory animals. Specifically, they were planning to use them for producing antibodies. And these rabbits were not kept inside the laboratory, but instead they were housed outside of the building, and there they could be bitten by anthropod vectors that were transmitting the myxoma virus. And soon, the rabbits were struck down by this highly contagious and lethal disease. What happened here was that the virus jumped to the European rabbit from its natural host, which are the American rabbits. In the American rabbits, the virus only causes a mild disease and probably some localized cutaneous fibroma, but it doesn't really concern the rabbit that much. But in the new naive host, the European rabbit, the virus was showing close to 100% mortality. That's because the immune system of the rabbit was completely unprepared for this new threat. The myxoma virus belongs to a family of viruses called poxviruses. It is a large virus with a genome encoding over 150 genes. And for a virus, that is quite a high number. With these genes, the virus encodes many proteins that can suppress the host immunity. And in the natural host, the American rabbit, the virus was co-evolving with the host, and these immunosuppressing genes are enabling the virus to establish a persistent infection that the rabbit uh, probably doesn't even notice at all. However, in the new and naive host that wasn't co-evolving with the virus, the infection had much more drastic consequences. The virus completely overwhelms the immune system, it disseminates throughout the body, and it causes the quick death of the rabbit. The high mortality of myxomatosis in European rabbits inspired scientists that it may be a solution for the issue Australia had with the overpopulated rabbits. The idea to use the myxomatosis virus for rabbit control was brought up multiple times. For example, it was suggested to the Australian government already in 1919, but uh, back then it was refused. And it's because, well, uh, the government was still sort of siding with the rabbits. They refused the idea and they pointed out the importance of the rabbit trade and also to the public sentiment. But over the years, the problem of the rabbit over overpopulation was growing. And the idea was repeatedly brought up, and in the end, the government decided to support some initial tests. However, using a virus as a tool for biological control is not commonly done, and even in this case, the decision wasn't taken lightly. The process of deciding whether the virus is a good candidate for biological control involved multiple steps. Firstly, the virus had to be highly specific. So there needed to be certainty that after inoculation it couldn't replicate in another species, including humans. Secondly, it had to be able to be maintained in the population. And thirdly, to be effective, it needed to have high mortality rates. 
The initial tests were performed in secret laboratories, and they confirmed that the virus doesn't replicate and cause disease in other species than rabbits. So, for example, it was deemed safe for humans and for the native Australian species. It was also confirmed in the laboratory that the virus had high mortality rates among rabbits. After the laboratory tests, the virus was tested in field. The scientists needed to find out if the infection could be established and spread in the rabbit population outside of the controlled laboratory environment. So how does such a field test look like? These tests were performed in large enclosures, for example covering some 90 acres, and there the rabbits were exposed to the virus. Interestingly, the researchers faced some challenges in finding location for these tests, and that's because people who were involved in the rabbit business and they were making money from the rabbit fur, for example, were very hostile to the scientists. But there was an even more striking problem. The field tests were not as successful as the laboratory tests. The virus was still causing high mortality, but there were issues with transmission and the virus had problems spreading in the natural habitats. The myxoma virus is transported by biting anthropods and mostly by mosquitoes or fleas. These insects serve as passive vectors and that means that the virus is not replicating in the vector. Instead, it only sticks or adheres to the mouthparts of the insect when it bites into the virus-rich lesions on the skin and then when the mosquito feeds on its next victim, the virus is injected and inoculated in the new host. So in an environment where there isn't a large population of the vector, the infection was dying out. Because of this failure of the virus to spread, the conclusion from the initial field trials was that myxoma virus didn't have a high potential for the biological control of rabbits. And in 1943 the tests were even terminated. But the course of history interfered and many farmers were drafted to join uh, the Second World War and this was actually leading to a decrease rabbit control efforts. And as a result, the rabbit problem reached a new dimension and that prompted the decision to continue with the field tests. And a very important test that changed everything happened in 1950. This field trial took place in the Murray-Darling Basin and the area was selected specifically because of higher rainfall, which was expected to attract more mosquitoes and to aid the virus to spread. But at first, this test also appeared to be unsuccessful, and myxoma virus seemed to disappear from the environment. But it only seemed so. That year there was a particularly strong mosquito season, which was aided by flooding that enabled mosquitoes to spread to usually dry areas. And the spread of the mosquitoes was also followed by myxomatosis outbreaks. The virus was rapidly spreading along watercourses and it was killing millions of rabbits on the way. The spread of this initial outbreak continued for the next three years. And during this time, the scientists were also intentionally introducing even more infected rabbits into the area to further support the spread. So this time the release of the virus did work but the efficiency of the virus greatly depended on the climate because its transmission depends on the insect vector. And it spread well in the flooded areas, but in dry areas there was limited spread because of the low mosquito numbers. The initial spread of myxomatosis in Australia was also accompanied by a controversy. There was another outbreak that was happening at the same time and in the same area. And this time it was a disease affecting humans. 
It was a human encephalitis, which was already known disease, but it was typically seen in a different part of the country. So this led to the speculations that the encephalitis was caused by myxomavirus and by the fact that people released the myxomavirus in the wild. However, there were extensive studies that investigated this possibility and they showed that the encephalitis was caused by another virus, an arborvirus that was also spread by mosquitoes. So the same strong mosquito seasons that supported the spread of myxomavirus also supported the spread of the arborvirus that was causing the human disease. To calm people and to end speculation, three senior scientists, including a Nobel Prize laureate, injected themselves with myxomavirus. And since the virus really doesn't replicate in human cells, nothing happened to them, and myxomavirus cleared its name. But, you know, probably still not something you should try at home. During the initial spread, there was 95% decrease in the rabbit population in affected areas. And it is estimated that in a single year, 400 million rabbits succumbed to the disease. But while the myxomavirus initially killed the rabbits with incredible speed, in the following years the disease was quickly starting to lose its effectiveness. In the pre-release testing, the virus killed over 99% of infected rabbits. And in the initial release, the kill rate was similar to the one observed in the laboratory. But in the second season, the mortality already dropped to 90% and the infected rabbits survived longer before they succumbed to the disease. There is a dataset from the area of Lake Urana that documented seven years of consecutive epidemics and within these seven years, the mortality fell from 98% to only 26%. This was caused by the fact that the virus was quickly mutating and these mutations were making the virus less lethal. The reason is that the myxomavirus had to sustain itself in the same host that it was killing with extreme efficiency. So this fact created a strong selection pressure to make the virus less virulent. If the virus killed the host too quickly, it wouldn't get transmitted and this highly virulent strain of the virus may die out. On the other hand, when a rabbit was infected with a weaker, less virulent strain of the virus, it was able to survive longer and spread the virus more efficiently. So as a result, evolution was favoring these less virulent strains. And these weakened strains of the virus are also called attenuated. But there was a limit to how much weaker the virus could get. Myxomavirus couldn't lose too much of its virulence, because then it would lose the ability to control the immunity of the rabbit, and the virus would be poorly transmittable. As a result, most viruses isolated in the field were somewhere in the middle between the most virulent and most attenuated strains. For the scientists, this epidemic presented actually a perfect opportunity for studying host pathogen evolution, because unlike other disease outbreaks, this one was started by the intentional release of the virus. So the researchers knew exactly the sequence and characteristics of the original laboratory strain of the virus, and they could observe its evolution in real time. But what did these mutations and changes in the myxomavirus mean for its effectiveness as a tool for rabbit control? The truth is that the usefulness of myxomatosis in Australia was quickly decreasing, and there were multiple attempts to enhance the rabbit control efficiency. For example, in 1969, scientists tried to release the European rabbit flea into Australia so that it could serve as a year-round vector for the virus but the flea survived poorly in the Australian hot weather. 
so this didn't really help. They also tried re-releasing the more virulent strains of the virus, but because these strains uh, couldn't compete with the attenuated ones that were better at spreading in the rabbit population, it also didn't have an effect. Not only was the virus getting weaker, but the rabbit population was also becoming resistant to myxomatosis. The infection put selection pressure on the rabbit population and it was making them less susceptible to the disease. In the annually exposed population, started to spread favorable gene variants and the rabbit's immune system became more adept at controlling the virus. For example, resistant rabbits exhibited pronounced inflammatory response at the site of infection, so this was showing how critical is the innate immune response for the resistance. Overall, the evolution of the virus and the rabbit population meant that myxomatosis could no longer efficiently reduce the number of overpopulated rabbits. So it was a measure that quickly lost its effectiveness, but the initial drop in the rabbit numbers still had a positive impact on the ecosystem. While the rabbit numbers did recover, they didn't reach the initial amount and remained at about 25% of the original rabbit population. While this story was unfolding in Australia, a parallel one was taking place also in Europe. However, there was a significant difference in how the myxoma virus was introduced. In Australia, the virus was deliberately released after government approval, while in France, there was an illegal introduction of the virus. In 1952, a farm owner in France released the virus on his estate by inoculating and releasing two wild rabbits. And over the next decade, the virus spread in France and also throughout Europe, affecting both wild rabbit populations and also commercial rabbit industries. The two epidemics that were happening on the opposite side of the world were in some aspects different, but in others surprisingly similar. To list one difference, unlike in Australia, where the main vector was a mosquito, in Europe the virus was transmitted mainly by rabbit fleas. But the evolution of myxoma virus was highly similar in both Europe and Australia. In both cases, the epidemic started with initial highly lethal episodics that devastated the previously unexposed rabbit populations. But this was followed by the emergence of attenuated viruses that had a transmission advantage and then selection for genetic resistance in the rabbit population. Three years after the release in Europe, weakened attenuated strains were also detected. Interestingly, the European spread started uh, from a different virus strain, but the evolutionary outcomes were similar and they were leading to the selection of the attenuated viruses and resistant rabbits. The rabbit population on both continents was selected for the same gene variants, but on the virus side there were some different mutations in Australia and in Europe, but they both resulted in the same phenotype. This coevolution of the host and pathogen was gradually reducing the impact of the disease and the populations on both continents began to recover, settling in uh, less than a quarter of the original numbers. Comparing the myxomatosis epidemic in Australia and Europe, the most striking difference was that in Australia, the myxoma virus served as a biological control tool, reducing the number of pest species and providing some breathing space for native species. But in Europe it was attacking a heritage species, and the spread of the virus had a detrimental effect on the environment. For example, the decline in the rabbit population was endangering their natural predators, such as the Iberian lynx and the Spanish imperial eagle. This situation raised the question of how to protect the rabbits. 
Besides the wild European population, prevention of the disease is also crucial in rabbit farms and for pet rabbits. Some reduction can be achieved by sanitary measures or by controlling the vector that is transmitting the disease. But the truth is that these measures are rarely sufficient to protect the rabbits from exomatosis. There are also some vaccines available, but just like the sanitary measures, these are also far from perfect. For the rabbit to be able to fight the virus, you need a very strong and robust immune response. And that is why only certain type of vaccines work against the myxomavirus. Subunit vaccines that contain some uh, virus protein do not work in this case. Similarly, the vaccines that are made from inactivated killed virus do not induce a strong enough immune response to fight myxomatosis. So what option is left? The only type of vaccine that works is vaccination with the live virus. There is one vaccine that is based on a less pathogenic virus that is called the rabbit fibroma virus. This is another pox virus, so it belongs to the same family and it has antigenic resemblance to the myxoma virus. So, when the immune system is trained by vaccination with this virus, it will also be able to fight its more dangerous relative, the myxoma virus. But unfortunately, the immunity lasts only about three months. And I came across information that the use of this vaccine was forbidden in Australia, even with farmed rabbits, and that's because they were afraid that this virus may spread and provide protection also to the unwanted wild rabbits. Another vaccination option is to use specifically the myxoma virus, but weakened in the laboratory. This weakened vaccination strain of the virus is prepared by serial passages, so like growing the virus, on rabbit and chicken cells at 33 degrees Celsius. Over the time, during these passages, the virus collects mutations and loses important immunomodulatory genes, the genes that allowed it to suppress the rabbit's immunity. But the issue with this vaccine is that you need to weaken the virus just enough. You cannot, uh, for example, accidentally weaken the virus too much because then it would stop working. And if you don't weaken it enough, then it could have some severe side effects. Another problem is that while the European environment would benefit from the rabbit vaccination, the vaccines have to be individually administered, so it's not really realistic to vaccinate all of the European rabbits. But let's abandon the European struggle and continue with our Australian story. As I mentioned earlier, the efficacy of the myxoma virus in reducing the rabbit population was rapidly decreasing. The weaker attenuated strains were taking over and the rabbits were also developing resistance to the infection. But despite this decline in effectiveness, the initial success of the campaign led the Australian authorities to search for another potential biological agent. And one such a candidate was the rabbit hemorrhagic disease virus. This virus belongs to the Caliciviridae family. It's forming small particles, only 40 nanometers in size, and uh, that encapsulate a single-stranded RNA genome. In contrast to the unusually large myxoma virus, which encoded more than 150 genes, the rabbit hemorrhagic disease virus, or RHD in short, encodes only 9 genes. The origin of the RHD virus is unknown, but it likely developed from some non-pathogenic rabbit calici virus. It was described for the first time in 1984 in China, and there it quickly spread in farmed rabbits, and within a few years also, uh, it also reached Europe. The infection causes a fulminant form of hepatitis in rabbits that results in rapid liver failure 
and the death of the rabbits within three days after infection. The virus has a high specificity for rabbits and also high mortality rate, over 90%. So it began to be considered uh, as another candidate for the biocontrol of rabbits. It was also reported that the virus, which uh, rapidly killed rabbits, was apparently asymptomatic, making its use relatively humane. This marked a step up from the debate about the use of myxoma virus, where reportedly no assessment of animal welfare seemed to have occurred. Similar to myxoma virus, the potential efficacy of the RHD virus was first tested in laboratory setting and then in field tests. The field tests were conducted on Vardang Islands, so they were isolated on small islands covering some 20 square kilometers. But despite these security measures, in 1995 the virus escaped and it was accidentally transmitted beyond the island and it spread to the mainland Australia. So unlike myxoma virus that was released after the field test finished, the rabbit hemorrhagic disease virus sort of released itself before it could be officially decided. The virus was transmitted through contact between animals and also through insects, mostly by fleas. And this is different from myxoma virus that relied on mosquitoes. As a result, the RHD virus was transmitted more efficiently because the fleas uh, spread, be uh, spread it better in the dry center of Australia. What further helped the spread of the virus is the fact that the virus particles are very stable in the environment. So even though the virus kills rabbits quickly, within two or three days, so that doesn't give them a lot of time to spread the infection, the viral particles remain stable in rabbit carcasses and can be further transmitted by fleas or even foxes. Similar to the laboratory test, as the RHD virus began spreading in the environment, the infection exhibited over 90% mortality. And during the initial spread of the virus, the rabbit population dropped by almost 95%. However, even the rabbit hemorrhagic disease virus was not the perfect solution. And there were several reasons why it wasn't the ideal rabbit killer. In some areas of Australia, there was already spreading another rabbit virus from the Caliceviridae family, specifically the rabbit Calicivirus A1. This is a non-pathogenic virus that did not cause harm to the rabbits, but it provided them with some cross-protection against the RHD virus. So it is working very similarly to the use of the rabbit fibromavirus as a vaccine against myxomavirus. Also, similar to the myxomavirus epidemics, the rabbit population began to recover and there emerged some resistance to the viral infection. For example, the surviving rabbit females were transmitting antibodies to their offspring, increasing their chances of surviving the infection. Interestingly, in the case of the RHD virus, the epidemics appear to be primarily slowed down by rabbits gaining resistance to the infection. Unlike the myxoma virus, there wasn't the same attenuation of the virus observed, and one probable reason for this is that the spread of the RHD virus wasn't so dependent on the length of the survival of the rabbit. Since the infection could be transmitted even from carcasses, the virus didn't face the evolutionary disadvantage by killing the rabbits too fast before they could spread the infection. But overall the scenario is very similar to the release of myxoma virus. During the initial spread, the rabbit hemorrhagic disease virus had a very high mortality, 
and it efficiently reduced the numbers of the overpopulated rabbits. But as the rabbits evolved, it quickly lost its effectiveness and the rabbit population partially recovered, even though it luckily didn't reach the original high numbers. Both attempts of the biological control of rabbits were therefore only partially successful. So today the story is still not over. These days rabbits are still overpopulated in Australia and currently it's estimated that uh, there are about 200 million rabbits. And the fight continues. For example, in 2017 the Australian authorities again released a different strain of the RHD virus, hoping that, would be, that it would be more efficient. The Australian story remains quite unique because it represents a rare case where all conditions aligned in a way that allowed to even consider the use of a virus for biological control without apparent threats to the environment or other species. In the end, it also became, let's say, a learning ground for scientists who were studying the evolutionary race between the pathogen and the host. Because even though it was expected that the viruses and the rabbits would evolve, and that the infection would lose some of its power, it happened much faster than was expected. And until the issue is finally resolved, that's it for now. Thank you so much for listening all the way through. I'm really happy this is finished because the preparations took me forever. I will put the papers I used as sources in the description. And in the future, I would like to make a new episode, like once in a month or once in a couple of weeks, in both Czech and in English, about everything viruses. If you like this, please rate it on whatever platform. And if you didn't like it, well, you already wasted enough of your time, so there's no need to further bother yourself with writing some reviews. I don't know if I'll create some social networks for the podcast. If so, I will link them below. But right now, I only have like a sciencey Instagram at carolina underscore science. And again, thank you so much for listening. And let's continue this in a month or so. 